as I can. But we're going to be talking about the life of God. The whole purpose of this teaching has been to help us see how God has lived, to help us view scripture from his perspective and not just, you know, our way of seeing how it benefits us, even though that is a part of it. We want to make it personable and we also want to get into a place where I can say, oh my goodness, I'm always looking at how the scripture helps me. I'm always looking at what God wants from me, which is good, but have I ever thought about what God's life is like as he guides and directs his people? And so that's what we are looking at today. And we're going to dig into it a little bit. I'm going to just go through scriptures. I'm not really sure where we're going to go with this, but I wanted to start with Psalm 5, verse 11 through 12 because there's a word there that I think is very important. The scripture says this, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Let them spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. I love this passage of scripture because the Lord, in, because God in his life, he sees himself as a refuge. He sees himself as a shelter. He sees himself as a covering in times of good and in times of danger or in times of trouble. He sees himself as a protector of us. And I think it's so important that we recognize this and that we hold on to this truth about him because we see so much happening in the world. We see so much um, trouble. We have so much trouble. And the thing about it is we have to believe that in the midst of all that we go through, whether it's sickness, whether it's family dynamics, whether whatever it may be, God really is our refuge. And he really positions himself in his life. Listen, he has dedicated his life to protecting us. Uh, it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what is happening around you. It doesn't matter what has already happened. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. There's this place where he is always positioning himself eternally as a place of refuge. And I hope that you can see this as you look about your life and you seek out um, the things of God beyond your gifting, beyond your calling, beyond everything going right all the time. God is always trying to be our refuge if we allow him. That's why I said trying to be. He is our refuge. But if we don't recognize him as such, if we don't see him as shelter, if we don't see him as protection, if we don't see him, it will leave us in this place of feeling as if we are abandoned. So Psalm 5, 11 through 12 gives us insight on God's life because every move he makes is to make sure that we know we have shelter. Oh, yes, it is. 
I know that's something that I'm meditating on more and more. And I know we feel like, hey, I got this. I understand this. And I believe we do, but I also believe that we can go further and further in understanding this. Now, this passage of scripture um, in Romans 8, the book of Romans is an excellent book. The context of this is simply um, Paul encouraging the Apostle Paul encouraging um, the, the church or the people that he is raising up, that he is guiding and all that is happening around them. He's encouraging them in their suffering and he's promising them um, that, that there is a future glory that's set aside for you. I want us to just take a look at this real quick. It's Romans 8 verse 18 and he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that creation, the creation itself, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So he says in verse 22, I'm reading for context until we get to our verse. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now, I just want to say that this is a profound statement to me because the early church was the first fruit of the spirit. We're not the first fruit of the spirit, but the early church was. We're, we're a part of the first fruits in the sense that we're the, the spirit of God that was released, the message of the gospel that was released is still working its power all of these years after this has taken place. But I think it's profound here that we see that these are the first partakers of what Christ released in the earth, the first church, the first sons, the first fruit of the original apostles, the first fruit of the apostle Paul, who was, um, you know, claimed into the apostolic office later. So I, I think it's important that we understand that they are the first, the first. There has never been anyone in the earth to receive this level of impartation and an organized ministry of Christ outside of this group that's pioneering in this time. Verse 24, it says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I just want to share here that we talked about um, in the previous scripture I gave you from Psalm 5, we looked at how God longs to be our place of refuge. He longs to be our shelter. In his life, he has positioned himself to be such. 
And we can see it when we look at the spirit and what's being described by Holy, about the Holy Spirit here. He says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. In other words, we have an advocate living on the inside of us who sees what we need even when we do not. And it causes us to be able to take shelter. It causes us to be able to find refuge, a refuge that we may not be able to explain, a refuge that we may not have words for, a refuge that we may not be able to see. But listen, What's so profound about this is that our helper is always working on our behalf when we allow it so that we can move into places of of deeper, deeper communion with God. Because in God's life, all he wants is for us to take shelter and to know without a shadow of a doubt that he is protecting us. I don't know what everybody is going through right now, but I can tell you this, that whatever you're going through, no matter how bad it is or how good it is, no matter how intense the fire is or how much relief you are experiencing, whatever place you find yourself in, there is shelter for you. And it's not just a cliche of saying this, it's a promise. And we have to learn how to access that shelter because it it, it extends beyond any natural experience. And I believe that in God's life, he is constantly and consistently trying to reveal what his refuge looks like so that we will recognize it no matter what state we are in. Oh, my goodness because there's always going to be trouble. There are always going to be things that come. There's always going to be tragedy. As long as we are living in the earth realm, there's always going to be joy. There's always going to be peace. There's always going to be hope. There's always going to be something that is coming. So verse 28, it tells us, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And I can tell you right now that many of us are are like the firstborn in our families. We're like the firstborn uh, in our in situations where we find ourselves being the only believer. We you know we find ourselves in these places where God is yet our refuge. So I want you to see refuge as not only a place of um, taking shelter in times of trouble. But I want you to see our refuge as a place of empowerment and a place of presence, a place of God revealing himself. Just think of this for a minute. It tells us, he said, for he all, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So part of that refuge is sometimes being in a position 
where people can see what God looks like. Oh my goodness, in our lives, in, in, our, in our ministries, in our places where we are not afraid to say, I messed up. And so God, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. I'm going to do whatever I can to reset this so that I might be the firstborn among my brothers and sisters, Lord God. I, you know, I don't know. How can I take shelter in the life that you are living? It's so important for us to see that God has dedicated his life, his whole life at the end of the day is dedicated to giving you and I shelter. Oh my goodness. And then he says, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's whole doctrines, massive teachings that can come out of the scripture that I read, but we're going to rest here and we're going to take shelter. Verse 31, he basically says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Shelter says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Refuge says, if God is for us, who can be against us? No matter what situation we might find ourselves in, there is always shelter. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I, I just want to point this out because sometimes when we look at the life of Christ, we look at Christ's suffering, we look at the life God has lived, we look at all the things that have happened in God's life concerning himself all the betrayals, how he built a world and ended up with eight people and really he only called one of them. And then we look at the situation at Sodom and Gomorrah and he was like, if you just find one in this city, I'll spare the whole city. So we look at this and we really realize God never even had a crowd. God himself didn't have a crowd. But here he is as God crying in the wilderness for us to identify him and recognize him as shelter, as refuge. And here we have his son who all of the suffering, he ended up being crucified and dying. We're looking at the things that took place in the natural and we still see shelter. We still see God's refuge despite what happened in the earth realm. Oh, and then verse 33, it tells us, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Why is this important? Sometimes as believers, we make mistakes. We do things that um, are contradictory of the way and the work of God. And we often feel that we are unqualified now because I did that or because I couldn't 
um, overcome this because I, I, I didn't walk this way. We feel as if we have to be perfect all the time. But one of the things that the Lord always reminds me of is that he has never chosen a perfect person. He has never chosen a perfect person. What causes us to be able to stand before the Lord is something very, very, very simple. And it's this, we know how to find shelter. We know how to enter into refuge. We know how to keep trying and not give up. We know how to exist under the shadow of his wings. We know who to run to. We know where to stand. This is why the scripture says, who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Because listen, no one knows what your relationship is really like with God except you. People can look at everything you've done. They can look at everything you've said. They can look at everything and how you used to be. They can look at how you are, but they don't know how you find shelter. And that is what's important. And I think so many of us need to be reminded of this because if we're not reminded of it, every single time we do something wrong, we're going to do more in disqualifying ourselves than we'll ever do in qualifying ourselves because in God's life, he has created a shelter for us. He has created a place that we can run to. He has created a, a place for imperfect people to learn about perfection. He has created avenues and processes for repentance, for forgiveness, for love, for recalibration, for change. None of us have made it. None of us have perfected anything. But the one thing we can trust, the one thing we can count on is refuge. Because in God's life, that is who he is. Jesus' sacrifice was a sacrifice that gave us refuge. <laughs> the forgiveness of sin was an act of refuge. Love that we can't comprehend is refuge. It's all about, will you believe? Listen, God just wants us to believe that he is shelter. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Oh my God. As much as, as I am upset by the horrible things happening to children, the murders we see on the news, the crazy that pops up, as much we just don't know about the shelter of other people. We just don't know. So what do we need to do? We need to worry about our shelter. We need to worry about our refuge. We need to make sure we know where to be, where to run, where to exist, not just in times of trouble, but in times of everyday reflection of recognizing just how blessed we are. Because in God's life, 
His whole focus is shelter. I want you to think about that. Think about all the words he said, all the promises he has made, all the hope that he has. And to give us three things that can't be shaken, faith, hope, and love is all about shelter. It's all about refuge. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Oh my God, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? Oh my God, the sword? The sword? Who shall separate us? Listen, who shall separate us? What? This is what refuge brings to us. This is what covering and shelter declares. Your worst mistake is sheltered right now. Your worst moment is sheltered right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And God, in God's life, he wants us to believe it. Listen. Moses killed a man and covered up his body. God is so good that we don't even remember that about him. We barely talk about it. But Moses was a murderer. I I just, I hope you're listening to me. Listen, Abraham tried to sell off his 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 wife, his sister, as an unmarried woman, and it almost cost a man and those in his employ their lives. God, God dealt with that situation, but there was shelter for Abraham. Listen, people, we will do some crazy stuff in the course of our lives. But what matters is that we find shelter and that we learn from the refuge, that we learn from the struggle, that we turn and we repent and then we move on. Oh my goodness, listen. We make some bad mistakes. But the scripture tells us, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So if you find refuge, if you're able to take shelter, this is working for you. Oh my goodness. Intercession is working for you. Intercession is working for you even when you are not necessarily working the intercession. All God needs is a broken and a contrite heart. All he needs is a people who who can recognize their state, who can say, this is me, Lord God. I repent. Forgive me, Father. This is the place. This is shelter. Shelter isn't just a hiding place. 
It's a working place. It's a working in you place. It's the potter's will place. It's the teaching place. It's, oh my goodness. It's good to be able to reflect because sometimes we're not so nice as people. Sometimes we say things that we want to take back and we can't. But what we can do, what we can do is say, I'm still here. I'm still alive. I'm still breathing. So that must mean God wants me to take shelter. He wants me to find refuge. You know, one of the most amazing things about refuge is that, um, or, or shelter or covering the way God designed it is that it's love. It's ahava. It's covenant. Shelter is not just, I'm a hot you. It's like, I'm gonna love you where you're at in the hope that you're going to elevate beyond where you're at. It's, it's like, I'm going to love you to grow. I'm going to love you to mature. I'm going to love you to be on solid ground. You know, and sometimes it, it helps us, even when we see people in their religious ideas, even doing ministry the way we no longer do it, even when we see people in their places of control, we have to recognize that, that this may be all that they know. This may be all that they can do with where they're at, but this is the thing. If they can find shelter, if they are looking for refuge, if they are looking for the God of all, if they are tapping into the life of God, then they're going to come out of all of these things. Because look, in God's life, Love suffers long and is kind. This is 1 Corinthians um, 1 Corinthians 13. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in sin or iniquity or your hardship or your trouble, but it rejoices in truth. I'm going to read this from um, the New Living Bible. I love this. I love the way it says it. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud. This is God's life now. We're not just looking at how we interpret this. Oh, this is what I need. I've got to get here. What I want you to see here, most importantly right now, is that this is who God is and is where he is. And when he pulls us into a place of shelter, he's pulling us deeper into understanding this truth about himself. In God's place of refuge, he is patient and kind. His love is not jealous. His love is not boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. You mean God is not demanding its own way? No, he's not. God longs for us to choose his way. He's waiting for us 
to love his refuge and to love his shelter so much that we want it, that we want his way, that we long for it. I remember talking to some young people one time that in a, in a, in a women's meeting, we were talking about singles and dating. And we had these, a couple of people that were there were all caught up in these relationships with these men who just were not good for them. They were selling their souls, putting up with all kinds of stuff. And I remember they were like, well, I just can't let this man go. And I remember saying to them, but if we could just learn to love God that way, our whole lives would change. You can love a man in the flesh who treats you so horribly. You can love them and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, but you cannot understand what God has for you and how he loves you and how the desperation is for you and how he desperately is saying, if you could just love me like that. If you could find a way to love me with the same or better desperation that you're giving someone that has never shown you kindness consistently. God's love does not demand its own way. It rests in refuge. It takes shelter and it, it, it loves you until you get to a point where you're like, oh my God, I want it his way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Oh my God. Oh my God. God's life keeps no record of being wrong. In God's life, he keeps no record of being wrong. But Teresa does. But you do. It's hard for us to become this. But refuge is there. So every time we realize we cannot forgive, every time we realize we cannot let go, if we can run to that place and we can allow God to help us and bring us deeper and deeper and deeper into his love. Love does not rejoice about injustice. It's not bragging about you getting what you deserve. It's not bragging about your hardship. Look, that's happening because you know, it's not doing any of those things, but it does rejoice when truth wins out. Oh my God. It rejoices wherever truth resides. Oh my God, it rejoices wherever truth resides. And truth resides in understanding that if you can turn and find refuge, if you can find shelter, if you can let the spirit of the living God have his perfect work in that sheltering place, truth wins. Truth wins. We battle over truth as if somebody has to prove one fact over the other. But the truth of the matter is, is that God's truth is his ability to love without condition. Oh my goodness. Shelter wins. Refuge wins. Covering wins. 
Oh, my goodness. I want to just share this. I've, I've talked on, taught on this before. And I haven't been able to get away from it. I just, I just want you to see it differently right now. So this is Ecclesiastes 3. And we're only going to read 1 through probably 10. No, we're going to go to the, the verse 11. But we're going to look at this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Uh, let's, let's change the, um, we're going to read this in the New King James Version. Okay, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's shelter in both of these. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. There's shelter. A time to kill and a time to heal. There's shelter. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's shelter in absolutely every aspect of life. There's shelter. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time to war and a time of peace. I know this may sound strange, but each of these areas have a place of shelter. There, all of us here right now are in one of these places or more. You're dealing with death. You're dealing with birth. You're dealing with planting. You're dealing with plucking up what is planted. You're dealing with killing things. You're dealing with healing. You're dealing with breaking down. You're dealing with building up. You're dealing with weeping and laughter and mourning and dancing, casting away. We're all in different seasons and all in different places that are perpetual, but there is always shelter. There is always refuge. There is always this place of redemption that we are standing between if we can just grab hold of it. You may be mourning right now, but there is shelter. You may be gathering stones right now, but there is shelter. You may be refraining from embracing right now, but there is shelter. You may even be losing but there is shelter. God wants us to know that in his life, he is the God of the desert and the oasis. He is the God of the wilderness and the God of the paradise. Wherever you are, we must find shelter. And we can't allow people to condemn us for the time, the moment, or the season that we are in. We can't allow people to make us feel as if God is not with us because we find ourselves in the losing place or in this place of throwing away or in 
wherever you find yourself, you must find shelter. Sometimes we're looking for things from people. We're looking for things from other folks and all of this, and people should help us if they see it or if they're asked, or, but if they are not, can we still find refuge? Can we find that hiding place? God is there in death. He is. He's there. He's there. He was there with Paul when Paul was on Damascus Road and he was knocked off his horse. He was there. God didn't say why. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And the next sentence was rescue, refuge. Oh my goodness. Moses murdered someone. But when you read that discourse, all you hear is refuge, rescue, shelter. Rahab was a prostitute. But there she found access to shelter, to refuge. We can go on and on and on. God didn't dwell on their horrible places. He didn't dwell on everything that they were doing wrong. In his life, God came to extend refuge. Oh my goodness. What are we extending to one another? How are we growing from this? What are we finding in our own refuge, in our own shelter? Paul said this in Ephesians 3. I'm pretty sure I shouldn't read all of this, but I don't know what part. So I'm going to read this. We're almost done. We're almost done. He said, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the rest of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Oh my goodness. Grace was given to him, even though he saw or perceived himself to not be worthy of it. God still gave him the right to preach to the Gentiles, the boundless riches of Christ. And to make it plain to everyone, the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him, well, there we go, in refuge, in shelter, in rescue. Somebody put that word there, so I'm going to say it. And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. So whatever you did yesterday and you sincerely repented for, and you have turned and you have received his forgiveness and you're not going back to that place, whatever it is in him, in his refuge, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Every time you see in him, 
think in refuge. I've been forgiven in refuge. I've been forgiven in shelter. I've been forgiven under the shadow of his wings. I've been forgiven. Oh my goodness. I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For Paul's calling, his suffering should never have been viewed as God is not with him. He's like, don't look at what I'm going through and equate that with my faith and with, with where I am and with what God, you can't look at my situation and decide God is not with her because she's broke or God is not with her because she doesn't drive a Mercedes. God is not with her because she's always being attacked. But my God, oh my God, what have we done with the gospel? that we have made ourselves judge, jury, and executioner of people because we don't understand their journey. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. Oh my God. He kneels before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Every family in heaven, every family in the earth are welcomed in God's refuge. We just are here to help them want to seek shelter and find shelter and find covering. That's why we're here in God's life all he wants is for us to find shelter. And he said, this is what Paul said. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. See, in, in shelter, we are being strengthened so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Oh my goodness. Shelter gives you the faith to believe that you can approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh my goodness. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What? The same love that shelter gives you. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Oh my God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. They may look at you and they may say, she ain't got nothing. Hey, but three people following her, God ain't with her, that ministry not growing. They may look at you and say that. They, they, they may look at you and say, look, she broke. She lost everything. They may laugh at you. God doesn't, listen, shelter has nothing to do with outer appearance. Shelter 
has nothing to do with crowds. Shelter has nothing to do with, with your bank account. None of that is a measure of who you are to God. It's not. It's a blessing to have it. It answers all things in the earth. Who wouldn't like a crowd listening to them? But it's not a measure of who you are. God loves that you know how to take shelter. He loves that you know how to find refuge. He loves that you understand that his whole life is dedicated to giving all the families in heaven and all the families in earth a hiding place. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. We now know that that power is Holy Spirit. As we find shelter, Holy Spirit is on the inside of us. And to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and forever. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. This was Rahab. We don't need that. We're going to move on from her. We're just going to look at this last scripture real quick. Hebrews 11. And we all know this as being the um, place of the, the, the hall of faith. We've heard this taught over and over again. I'm not going to teach it. That's not why I'm looking at this. But I want you to see something that I think we all need right now. I need it. I need it every day. You need it. You need it every day. Because God's refuge, his shelter, his covering, it brings us into a place of faith. And what do I mean by that? I mean... You have to believe that God has called you even when no one else has. You have to believe that God is still working on your behalf even when you made the gravest mistake of your life. When you've done the worst thing that you feel like you've ever done and you are convicted and you are repentant and you are finding shelter to recalibrate, you have to believe that God is still with you. You have to know that God's life is dedicated to helping you consistently and constantly find shelter. Abel discovered it. Yep, he discovered shelter. Enoch found shelter. I just want to look at this a little differently. And we know Enoch didn't experience death. We know that he was caught up. My point here again is that our Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, lets us know that we are all in different places at different times in our lives. Abel was in a different place than Enoch. Enoch was in a different place than Noah. Noah was in a different place than Abraham. Abraham was in a different place than Isaac and Jacob and Sarah. They were all different and they all had 
their things that they had to overcome, but God was with all of them. Not everybody walked it like Enoch did, but God still used them. Not everybody walked like Abel, but God still used them. There were people making mistakes like Abraham and Moses and Sarah. I mean, oh my God. It says all these people were still living by faith when they died. All of them. And listen, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. We may not live out or see everything that God has for us. For whatever reason, some of the choices we made along the way, cut time, whatever. But the thing that God wants you to see in this moment is that even when time is lost, there's shelter. They are still remembered. They are still listed. They are still here. And they've been gone for hundreds of years now. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. We still talk about that. <laughs> By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. We still talk about that. Let's go down. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. We still talk about that. They found shelter. And what more shall I say? This is Paul again, or whoever wrote Hebrews, that's under debate. I do not have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel or Cynthia or Dominique or Veruva or her. I don't have time to tell you about all of these. I don't have time. This is what he's saying, because they're not the only ones that are listed here. But through faith, they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice. They gained what was promised. Oh, my goodness. As we take shelter, we have to look at the things that God has allowed us to accomplish in spite of ourselves, in spite of our situations. Let me tell you about who shut the mouth of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames, who escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle, and who routed foreign armies. What have you done? Reflect on those things, and remember that in refuge and in shelter, God was with you. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. Oh my goodness. But they still found shelter. They were sawed in two, cut to pieces and were killed by the sword. Oh my God. But, you know, we have people in the church today, if you die like that, or you go through something wrong with you, God, because you got to be perfect. 
You got to have this abundant financial this and that. You've got to have the, the Mercedes, the house, the car, the jet, the plane. That's how you're blessed in the suckers of a church today. Oh my goodness. But here you have people going about in sheepskins and goatskins and destitute and persecuted and mistreated. And he says the world was not worthy of them. Oh my God. The world was not worthy of them. Let that rest in your refuge. God is looking for people that he can declare this over. That means when you fall, you run to your shelter. When you have trouble, you go to that place where you are covered and where you are protected and you turn from your sin. You turn from the trouble and you decide I'm never going back that way again. You find shelter. See, trouble doesn't disqualify us. It doesn't. Unless we allow it. Unless we don't get free from it. Unless we let it take control of us. Trouble is with us always, but when we turn and when we repent and when we deny ourselves, and when we make the running into the shelter, the refuge, when we allow God to rescue us, when we block the darkness, he raises us up. And it teaches us how to overcome. It lets us know that we might not be perfect, but along the way, we're being perfected. Verse 39, it says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Oh my goodness, we're being called into a place of perfection that's interdependent now. We're being called to not be judge, jury, and executioner because of outer appearance. We're being called to wake up to what things really are and not to see ourselves as defeated because we are not measuring up to someone else's standard. We have to take time to understand that God's life is all about, let me pull you in, Teresa. Let me pull you in. Let me bring you in. Let me bring you in. There's refuge. Let's recalibrate. Let's rebuild. Let's get things in order. Let's move back into positioning. Let's overcome. Let's not stay here. Let's not get stuck. Let's not, not focus on all the bad stuff you've ever done, all the mistakes you've ever made, everything you did that was wrong this week. No, stop it. Men won't forgive you, but I will because I am the God of refuge. I am the God of shelter. I am the God of, of thousands of chances. 
I am the God that can do for you what no man can. They may not love you, but I do. They may have given up and walked away, but I have not. <laughs> can you take shelter? That is what God is, is crying out for us to do, I believe, in this season. Can we take shelter? As long as we are looking at who's not forgiving us, who's not trusting us anymore, who leaves and who stays, we'll never be able to embrace shelter. We won't be able to do it. We have to make amends where we can. We have to get our houses in our house in order where we can. We have to put them boots back on and we have to keep moving. We have to keep moving. So Father, I thank you for this word today. I thank you for encouraging us and strengthening us. I thank you for building us in our most holy faith. I thank you for guiding us. And I thank you, Father, that we look around ourselves and around our relationships and we see that everybody is in a different place. Everybody is. Sometimes people are on the same page. Sometimes people are on the same direction. But if you get a room full of people, Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 is operating somewhere in their lives. And Lord, I pray that wherever they may be, whether in the oasis or in the desert, that we know without a shadow of a doubt that there is shelter for us. And that you came, God, in your life, your life from Genesis to Revelation, from Alpha to the Omega, is all about giving shelter. Father, I pray we find shelter today and that we embrace it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.